0: You are listening to A Beautiful Mess, a new sermon series by Crosspoint Peachtree City. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. All right, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Great. Great to see everyone here. Let's give a a, a welcome to uh, Jacob Davis for leading worship for us. Just thank you for coming out and doing that this morning, man. I appreciate it, it was awesome. Uh, my name is James Brown, I'm the creative arts director here at Crosspoint PTC. Uh, you'll usually see me doing what Jacob Davis was doing this morning and leading the congregation in worship, but, uh, but today I have the privilege of, of uh, delivering God's word to you. So uh, I'm excited about this. Um, most of you are well aware, but, uh, but in case you don't know, Crosspoint is in the middle of a new and exciting transition. Uh, Jamie Vizzini, our new lead pastor, preached uh, his first Sunday uh, at the beginning of this month. and uh, uh, He is currently in Orlando, Florida right now um, with his pregnant wife, Brooks, and his perfectly round baby girl, Lanier. Not a sharp edge on that thing, just to want to squeeze it. and uh, It's like a loaf of bread. Um, <laughs> they are at the tail end of packing up all their stuff uh, to move out here to Peachtree City to be with us. They have their house uh, it's not too far from, from here, it's over by the Target, and I believe it closes the 27th of this month, and, uh, and they'll be out here the following Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, to move everything in, so they'll likely need help with that, um, I'm sure Jason will give you details and send something out, I'm not sure how much stuff they're bringing and how much help they'll need, but, um, but I'm sure he'll be in touch with you guys, but uh, we had the opportunity of talking to, uh, to Jamie um, via uh, FaceTime, and uh, he's just super excited to come out here, and, uh, and we're really excited to have him. Um, but in the meantime, you have one more week of uh, substitute teachers, so I'm, uh, and Jason and I will never preach again. After that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, anyways, if you're joining us uh, for the first time this week, we are uh, in the middle of a new series called A Beautiful Mess, and uh, we are looking closely at the church in Corinth a church that was ripe with scandal and misconduct. And there's you guys leaning in your seats, and it's exciting to talk about scandal in the church. But uh, here was a church whose, congregations, uh, whose congregants were uh, sleeping with their mothers unashamedly, uh, soliciting prostitutes, coming to church drunk. Uh, they elevated their pastors to rock star status, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And so uh, on the surface, uh, this church was, was truly a mess. Um, this was the kind of church that makes newspaper headlines, right? The kind of church we berate and lambast on social media and, uh, and we see as the, the butt of the joke on late night talk shows. Um, this is the kind of church that seems to exist just so we can feel better about ourselves so that we can say at least we're not that church over there in Corinth. Uh, we have problems, but, but not like they do. Right, They are the, the Duff Church. Anyone seen that movie yet, The Duff? i probably have to take my wife to go see it. I think that's the kind of thing she would dig. But uh, they are the, uh, pardon the crass expression, the designated ugly fat friend of a church whose big sins eclipse our tiny insignificant ones and make us appear as though we are really not that bad off. Um, but obviously this is not true. And this is the point that Jamie was driving home, that we are in fact, uh, to use the acronym again, All doves, all great sinners, in need of a great savior. Um, And it was the same kind of worldly wisdom that was causing problems amongst the Corinthians. There was a spirit of arrogance and pride amongst them, not unlike something you might find in the contemporary church. And this morning we're going to look at what Paul has to say about it. So if you would, uh, stand with me for the reading of God's word. Um, If you forgot to bring your Bibles, there should be someone uh, somewhere near you, uh, underneath the seat in front of you. Also, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that home with you. It's our gift to you. Um, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. are going to be reading through the, the whole chapter this morning. In verse 1, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." But the Spirit, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'd like to pray for us this morning. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day that you've made. I, I thank you for bringing us here, Lord, to come and to worship you. And Father, I just pray that, uh, uh, that your spirit would be among us, Father, that it would move in power, Lord, that we would uh, uh, not... <laughs> not deny the, the miraculous, supernatural thing that happens here on a Sunday morning, Lord, involves your spirit. Um, Lord, that in fact, uh, there is no knowing you except but through the spirit, for, Lord. And I just pray that as we delve into this passage, Father, that we, we'd come to, to understand you more deeply. Uh, Lord, have a, a, a better appreciation of your love and your mercy and your kindness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so last week, uh, Jason preached on this idea of worldly wisdom versus the wisdom of the cross, which is foolishness to those who are perishing, Paul writes, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul is continuing with the same idea here, expounding on what exactly the power of God looks like and how it manifests itself in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Up to this point, Paul has not mentioned the Holy Spirit in his letter to the Corinthians, but here he mentions him by name seven times and refers to his work another four times, the total of 11 times for those of you who get excited about that sort of thing. Uh, So this passage provides a great opportunity to look at what is often considered sort of the red-headed stepchild of the Trinity, right? The one Francis Chan calls the forgotten God in his book, Forgotten God, What are the odds, right? So now I find myself, uh, even in talking about the Spirit amongst other Christians, that there's this sort of ambiguity and, and mystery associated with the Holy Spirit. And so I don't want to insult your intelligence, I'm sure this is a very erudite and learned congregation, um, but uh, uh, I still think that it, it's good to kind uh, of give, give a definition for, for who and what the Holy Spirit is and does. Um, I think the reason maybe there's, there's some mystery in talking about it is because uh, he's not talked about much. So where do you start? Is it a person? I think that most of us would agree, at least theologically, that he is, um, but then often I think we treat him as though he was this sort of nebulous, ethereal thing. Um, right, what does he want? What is his purpose? What does it mean to be filled with him? And so to clarify and to remove some of this mystery and to get all of us on the same page, it might be helpful to work towards some sort of definition of who the Holy Spirit is, as much as you could define an infinitely powerful, inexhaustibly complex, and ineffably beautiful being. Uh, but I think for our purposes here today, it's a start. And the irony is that even as we are trying to better understand the Holy Spirit... Uh, The Holy Spirit is actually working with us to make sense of all this. It's kind of cool when you think about it. Um, So uh, here's what Jesus has to say about him in John 14, 6. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, So he is the Helper that God has sent to us to teach us all things and to help us to understand and, and to interpret the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this is really invaluable, and I'm going to return to this a bit later as we get further into the passage, but basically no one gets to the Father except through Jesus, right? And likewise, no one gets to Jesus except through the Spirit, which means that aside from the Holy Spirit, none of us are saved and we can all go home, but thank God for His infinite mercy and grace uh, that this is not the case. And so we'll talk a little bit more on that later. Um, But getting into what, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? can be sort of a controversial thing, uh, and there are certainly some very unbiblical ideas as to to what this means and and, and what this looks like. Um, I'm not going to get into that today, but I came across John Piper's definition, which which I like because it's simple enough and yet not stagnant. It's more of a, a process as opposed to a fixed definition. And here's what he says. He says, I think being filled with the Spirit means, basically, having great joy in God, to be filled with the Spirit means to be caught into the joy that flows among the Holy Trinity and to love God the Father and God the Son with the very love with which they love each other. The Spirit who fills us is the Spirit of joy that flows between God the Father and God the Son because of the delight they have in each other. He paints this beautiful picture of that great triune dance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God in His grace and mercy and love chooses to include all of us in it. Right? We didn't initiate it. It's God who invites us into this wonderful, transformed life. So, this is the context of Paul's argument here, and and we'll start to delve into the scripture a little bit. Um, Beginning in verse 1 and verse 2, Paul writes, And when I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So, I believe. Jason talked a little bit about this last week, uh, the culture in Corinth. This was a very intellectual culture. Um, Rhetoric was an art form and also a huge source of entertainment at this time. Um, And rhetoricians, I don't know if that's how you say it or not. If there's anyone practicing the art of rhetoric, you can correct me afterwards. Or just happens to know what that word is, but I'm I'm sticking with it. Uh, (laughs) Rhetoricians were sort of celebrities at this time. You gain popularity based on how well you can argue, and even if your argument was false, it it didn't matter. If it was more cleverly presented and articulated than another person who had a more truthful argument, then you won the argument. Um, This is what people did for fun, I guess. They went around meeting each other if you bumped shoulders and this argument broke out about the theory of happiness or something like that. I think it was probably sort of like the movie, You Got Served, only instead of dancing, it was, you know, people arguing. Um, I think You Got Told, or something would be uh, the equivalent, and they'd have a whole series. You Got Told 3D, and uh, I'm starting to lose it here. So anyways, Paul was aware of this, and he understood well uh, the culture that he was writing to here. Um, I don't know if this strikes anyone else as a little bit odd, but... uh, but Paul's epistles, which is really fun to say, um, Paul's epistles uh, strike me as some of the most sophisticated and beautifully written arguments that you'll ever read. Right? As Ray Ortland points out, this passage itself is an eloquent deconstruction of human eloquence. So what is Paul talking about? What is the lofty wisdom, which Paul states back in chapter 117, uh, that empties... The cross of its power—it's kind of a, a sobering thought, right—that um, that in the presentation we could actually empty the cross of its power—not just not just that you don't believe, but that I've I've robbed it of something. Um, I think the key here is in verse two. Paul says, "I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." Um, I think the key word there is he decided. This is a conscious decision on his part to become nothing and to know nothing except Christ. Because if he could convince anyone based solely on his wit and his presentation, then where is the power and where is the victory? The foundation of their faith would blow away like the sand it was built upon, but if he preached Christ alone, then their faith would stand the test of any argument. And what he goes on to say in the next few sentences here reaffirms this. Verses 3 through 5, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling... And my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Forgive me, I'm going to uh, insert a lozenge into my mouth and uh, and continue, um, which we're I'll stop talking for a second. All right, so Paul is talking about. Weaknesses here, and, uh, and he's probably referring to both physical and emotional, but Paul's physical appearance likely supported this description that he's giving. Um, Paul references his various ailments. I'm not sure when the right time to in my mouth is while I'm talking. There's no right time. Paul references his various ailments throughout Scripture, right? The uh, thorn in his side, likely some physical handicap um, you know, he talks about his poor eyesight, his short stature. Um, and Paul probably was not very impressive to look like to look at uh, in a culture that idolized, you know, these larger than life figures who were loud and in your face. Um, Paul must have come across as as weak, if if not ordinary. Um, but uh, but this to Paul was a blessing. Uh, for him, it was more than uh, for him it meant more uh, that he that he was more Christ-like. And that the victory was not Paul's, which was fleeting and empty, but Jesus's, which was final and lasting. Going back to verse four, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Uh, this is what I was touching on before in regards to the work of the Holy Spirit and how He brings men to Christ. Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Romans. This is uh, Romans 8, 5 through 7. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind of the flesh is at enmity toward God, for it does not submit to the law of God, nor can it submit. Um, John Piper summarizes this passage so much better than I could. He says, fallen human nature is so hostile to God and his demands that it cannot submit to God in faith. We must be born again, born of the Spirit before we can approve of God's word and trust in Christ. Faith is not the means or the cause of the new birth, it is the result, the fruit of new birth. Um, i got to tell you, that's a relief to me this morning. I spent... The second half of this week, curled up in bed, uh, not wanting to move, and, and the other part of it, I was uh, in the bathroom working out this stomach flu thing, and I'll uh, spare you the details of all that. But it was not pretty. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you were working through it with your kids or yourself personally. Um, and uh, for those of you that haven't had it yet, or this is your first time visiting, welcome. You'll likely get it and you come back and. Um, <laughs> But uh, we'll pray for you before we leave. As a result, my sermon, my sermon time was cut a little short, and I found myself scrambling and asking for the Lord's help. And so uh, believe me when I tell you that this morning I, uh, I come with fear and trembling and in weakness, and it's in that state that I present to you the gospel. Um, but, uh, but thank God that in my weakness, his strength is magnified, and to him be the glory. And if you find him as a result of this sermon it won't be because of my oratory skills. It will be because of the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit on your heart. That He has revealed to you the truth of Christ's death on a cross for your sins. That as a result, you can be reconciled to the Father this morning and that you can enjoy a life of peace and abundance knowing that you are eternally secure in Him. Um, yeah. I spent a long time on those first five verses and. Uh, I apologize, but I'm going to move through the rest of this chapter kind of quickly because I think it builds on this same idea. Going to verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So in this instance, Paul uses the word mature to describe any saved persons, uh, and he regards the Corinthians in that way. This is interesting. The The Corinthians are Christians, despite all the things that I listed off that were going on in that church. He never hints that they are anything but, and as such, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, who helps them to understand the secret and hidden wisdom of God. The problem is they don't act like it. Right, they have this wonderful wisdom to impart, to encourage, and to lift one another up, but they choose instead the wisdom of their culture, the wisdom of this world, the kind of brilliant wisdom that crucified the Messiah. Right, that's a result of worldly wisdom. Right, the fruit of the Spirit is life and peace, but the fruit of this world is death, is pain. Paul then goes on to further flesh out this idea of a life lived in the Spirit, this amazing gift from God Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. There is no end to the depth and to the wonder and to the beauty of God. This is what Paul is driving at, and the spirit gives insight into these things. Make no mistake about it, there is an amazingly supernatural, supernatural and miraculous thing that happens here, that dance that John Piper described from before, to be caught up into the joy that flows among the Holy Trinity. And we see the culmination of this idea in verses 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Uh, That's amazing Um, (laughs) uh, to wrap my head around. I I don't know. Do we believe that? Do I believe that this morning? Paul did without a doubt. and It was unthinkable to him that anyone who had the Holy Spirit would think any differently. And yet, the worldly wisdom crept back in when it came to the Corinthians. So let me ask you, where do you see the wisdom of the world infiltrating and dividing the church today? If the fruit of the Spirit is peace and patience and love, then it stands to reason that the fruit of this world is the antithesis of those things. So it's easy to see how worldly wisdom would cause division and strife amongst the church, or not communicating with the same language. Paul doesn't mention specifically what thread of Toxic philosophy is working its way through the Church of Corinth, but one pernicious and pervasive lie I see is that of self-sufficiency. Um, I'm going to use the phrase again, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right? We need a, um, a little jar up here that says pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Just drop a, a quarter in every time we say it. It would send a youth to camp after a while. Um, so anyway, so this is, uh, but I think it's, it's apt here, and it kind of describes that works-based approach to Christianity that lacks humility and meekness. It gets in the way of authentic relationships. It becomes more about competition than working together. It offers criticism and gossip instead of prayer and encouragement. You see, the church in Corinth as something that needs to get its act together while we stay in denial about our own spiritual poverty. I think of... Uh, Think of the illustration of the two mice and the two buckets of cream. Are you familiar with this, with this tale? I think it's, I saw it for the first time in that movie. Catch me if you can. But uh, it kind of illustrates this kind of worldly wisdom. There's you know, a bucket of cream, one, mice falls in, one mouse falls into it, and he uh, starts swimming around and trying to get out, and he can't, and he eventually dies, tragically. And then there's the second bucket of cream, the second mouse. I don't know if they're near each other these separate parts of the world. I don't know if it matters. Anyways, there's a second bucket of cream somewhere, and this second mouse falls into it, and he's he, you know, swimming and, and trying to dig his way out. And he, he doesn't give up, and he tries so hard that he ends up turning the cream into butter and is thus able to, to climb out of the bucket. Um, this is really stupid, right? I mean, I mean <laughs> but that's, that's what the world has to offer, right? You work hard enough, and you can get yourself out of anything. Just white-knuckle it for a little bit more, and you can figure it out. But I bet that most of you are here because that wasn't the case for you, right? We couldn't just figure it out. So I'd like to offer an addendum to the tale. Uh, A third mouse falls into a third bucket of cream somewhere, maybe not next to either of the other two mouses. Again, it doesn't really matter. But in realizing that he cannot save himself, calls out to the one who can, you know, Abba Father, save me. That's uh, what they call it, Deus ex machina, in literature. Something that's kind of a faux pas and frowned upon, because uh, because it's not interesting. But but it's the truth. Um, that's that's who we are. We can't we can't white knuckle it. We can't work it out. And when we offer that kind of advice to each other, or offer that kind of advice to the outside world, that that leads only to death. So here's my my final sort of charge here. Let's be a church that that continues to point to Jesus. A church that listens to the Spirit, that prays for guidance for the Spirit in all that we do, and that speaks with the mind of Christ. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us Find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C R O S S P O I N T E P T C dot com.